Welcome to the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council with hosts Grace Evans and Moses Bratchrude. Stay informed on the top stories on life, family, and religious freedom. Get the facts, stand for truth. Good morning. Welcome back to the Family Beacon Podcast. Whether you're watching or listening to this, we're so excited that you're here. I'm Moses Bradford with Grace Evans and our special guest, Attorney Renee Carlson, General Counsel of True North Legal, a legal initiative associated with the Minnesota Family Council. And we have a really special episode for you today talking about this recent uh, Minnesota State Circuit Court decision. But first, I want to talk about a little story. Now, this is going to be really applicable if you're watching the podcast. So in my office, which is across the hall, I have my office chair. And mm-hmm. I, my office chair is always at the tallest setting because I'm... He likes to be in charge. I, I like to be in charge. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, you know, I'm basically normal height. Um, and it's just that's what's comfortable to, for me. And I, I have these two chairs on the other side of my desk for anyone who comes in. Where I always sit. Where Grace always sits. In all sits. Of our meetings every single day. And, and, and those chairs are quite low. So if you <laughs> see, sit he there. Hits the, see, he sits in the high one. I sit yeah. in the low one. Yeah. It's part of his master but plan. That's right. That's right. It, it's meant it's meant to uh, to make me feel good, and it does make me feel good. <laughs> but today, however, for this three-person podcast setup, and as you can see, we're all cozy Something's here because, uh, because we love each other, and I have this chair, which is shorter, so it looks like I'm here in this place of equality <laughs> with Grace With Arne, these women. Which is not true because they're both um, way cooler than me. So, wow. High praise. Uh, yeah, it's, wow. on, it's on record. Mm-hmm. I, I said that on camera now, and I can't take it back. I bring this to the board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so we um, we are discussing this, and the reason we thought it was important to squeeze behind this table is because no one is talking about this. Mm. Like this case, it, it, there is a couple news articles, but I'm pretty sure that there is no other Minnesota politics podcast or uh, Minnesota podcast period that's going to be talking about this case this mm-hmm. week. Or and any yet, social media. That's the thing. Because or like, we've media. seen a great response to our social media posts about this. Everyone's reposting it, sharing it, um, saving it, and commenting on it. So you can follow us at MN Family Council on Instagram. And you can also follow us on TikTok now. We officially have a TikTok. I have mixed feelings about that. But that's I where the kids are. So that's where we need How to be. How do I say congratulations in Chinese? I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> it's where we need to be because that's where a lot of young people are. Um, so we're going to be using that tool uh, wisely. But make sure you follow us on there. We had a pretty good response to our first video that was posted on there. Yeah. Lots of pro-choice activists coming at me in the comments. But hey that's good we're reaching the opposition that's honestly our goal um but if you're pro-life go follow us uh, at mn family council on tiktok so that we you can help us get the word out and you can show our support there show us support there i don't know if there's any other podcasts that have discussed this but i do know that alpha news did do a little feature mm-hmm. on this this ruling so we appreciate that and we need to make sure that everybody in minnesota knows what's going on and knows the ramifications of this case so Absolutely. Follow we will Grace, have that. Follow Moses yes, we will, so, we will so have this, that article linked in the description below. They yes. did a great interview with Renee they, on this topic. They did. And I, I have to say, we're going to be talking about this case, which changed Minnesota's abortion laws profoundly. Mm-hmm. And and so I just want to say, we're going to get into that. We're going to give you all the details. And I, I encourage you to share this episode with friends and family members, maybe who don't follow this debate closely or maybe just haven't heard about this case because it will affect the work of pro-life people across the state. So we're going to hopefully help you guys understand this case a little bit better today. Grace drafted uh, some great questions uh, so that we can understand this. So 
Take it away, Grace. Yeah, so as we know, Dobbs v. Jackson, we talked about this on the last podcast episode, Dobbs v. Jackson overturned Roe v. Wade, which is incredible for so many states, for every state, clearly, but for so many states, immediately abortion is made illegal or there are severe restrictions placed upon abortion. Unfortunately, here in Minnesota, as we've talked about multiple times before, you guys, um, nothing immediately changes. That doesn't mean things won't change in the future because we have a lot of people here that are dedicated to fighting for the pre-born and for women. But there was something that just happened a, a very egregious ruling, I would say, um, that happened this week. Renee, can you give us a brief summary of that ruling for us? Yep. Well, you're right. It was a pretty egregious ruling. This is a lawsuit that challenged a number of Minnesota laws that regulate access to abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, many of these laws were considered our sort of pro-life laws that protect women and children from the abortion industry. And of course, I'm not saying that we support abortion, but when there are restrictions in place and there are regulations, um, we're thankful for that because it makes women take a second um, a second thought about what they're actually doing mm-hmm. if they get more information about abortion. It also protects young girls who, and parents whose rights are violated when their young girls are able to get an abortion without parental notification at all. So we'll get into that a little bit. But this case um, effectively wiped all of our pro-life laws off of the books or most wow. of them. And the lawsuit was filed by an OBGYN, a nurse midwife, and Our Justice, which is a nonprofit organization that says they provide support and financial assistance for women seeking an abortion. Um, they claim that all of these laws violated the Minnesota Constitution and therefore Ugh. were unconstitutional. Um, the plaintiff sued the governor, the attorney general, the Board of Nursing, the medical board, and the Minnesota Department of Health. Wow. Um, And like I said, just with one fell swoop, effectively Mm. eviscerated all of these laws. And I think, you know, what's interesting is according to the Solicitor General in this opinion, she said that these laws have been in effect for between 11 to 111 years. Wow. Wow. So pretty monumental. And I think, Hmm. you know, the take home is that these are reasonable laws that protect women and girls by regulating the abortion industry and its practices. And if the court can't comprehend the necessity of caring for women you know, existing outside of the womb, what does this say about the rights of the preborn who are murdered every day by the abortion industry? Exactly. So you're saying that the state of Minnesota is being sued by this district court. Um, is that because they're trying to hold Minnesota to the Dovey Gomez standard? <clears throat> yeah, they're trying to ride on the fundamental right to abortion. Wow. Well, we will be getting into that later. That's right. pretty insane. Mm-hmm. So, so if we could get a little bit more detailed level uh, at the detailed level, Renee. What are the specific Minnesota laws that mm-hmm. have been affected or uh, are now essentially gone because of this ruling? Well, there is a number of laws that have been affected by this ruling. And again, it's quite astounding. So I'm not going to go in any particular order. Um, we'll start with the physician-only law, which, sta- which is a law stating that only doctors <coughs> excuse me, can provide abortions. And I think it's interesting to get into that a little bit before mm-hmm. we get into the other mm-hmm. laws that were challenged. Because I want to take a moment to highlight some of the summary of the arguments about this law specifically, because I think it really demonstrates how the abortion advocates think. And namely, you know, how out of touch they are with women and demonstrates their casual attitude towards abortion. Um, As what was stated in the opinion, one of the plaintiff's experts, who's a doctor, said, 
one in every four women will have an abortion by age 45. And this expert believes that abortion, as currently practiced in the United States, is highly safe and effective, saying serious complications of abortion are rare, and that abortion does not increase the risk of long-term physical <laughs> or mental health disorders. Oh, my that goodness. Grace must have been falling out of her chair <laughs> when she read that. And I know, was. I was. <laughs> we know that, in the very least, abortion impacts mental health. And in Absolutely. the brief that Professor Collette and I filed in Dobbs, we were able to talk about that specifically. And I just want to bring up some of those statistics to say there is evidence that suggests otherwise. Um, first of all, again, going back to a study we cited in our brief about um, about abortion it, or excuse me, prolonged grieving of post abortions revealed that half of the participants referred to their abortions as murder. So half of the participants have to sit with the consequences of thinking mm. I murdered my child. Mm -hmm. How does that not impact your mental health? Right. And yeah. your well-being and your mental health affects your entire physical being. 44% mm -hmm. voice regret about their decision to abort. And then other long-term effects included depression with 44% mm -hmm. of women that took the survey. And 33% experienced feelings of loss. I mean, I could go on. There's many more um, statistics and things I could share. Mm -hmm. But those were some of the main ones that come to mind when I think... I really disagree with that. Yeah, I just, it honestly baffles me because these are people that are considered to be experts, right? They're coming in and testifying because they're supposed experts in their fields, but really, if they looked at the actual statistics, if they weren't blinded by this narrative, if they looked at the stats, if they looked at women, actual women who have undergone abortion and are severely hurt by this, either physically or mentally, they would know that they're on the wrong side of history. I mean, it's crystal clear. The, the stories are true and genuine. There are so many women who come out after having an abortion and they mm -hmm. say, this completely altered my life in a terrible mm -hmm. way. Um, and there's no going back. Like the regret I feel every single day is a constant burden on me. And so that's just the mental effects that you've just listed. But right. then there's also the physical effects. I mean, women are far more likely to, to uh, undergo suicide. They're far mm -hmm. more likely to have preterm deliveries, to be infertile, to hemorrhage, possibly even die. Like there's all these complications that arise out of undergoing an abortion. And it's honestly shocking to me that these so-called experts are testifying in such a way. So I'm glad that you're shedding light on that um, specifically. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting, well, they treat this like a procedure among right. you know, all procedures. It's a tooth extraction. It's an abortion. Like what's the difference? <sighs> mm -hmm. And that's really problematic. Mm -hmm. um, the defense expert, which was the state's expert, actually <clears throat> said that abortion in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy is extremely safe. And 89% of abortions in Minnesota occur at or before 12 weeks. In fact, he said the party's experts, or the opinion says the party's experts agree, the risks of medical abortions as opposed to aspiration abortions are identical to those of miscarriages. Therefore, although Dr. Woth maintains the use of APRNs, which is not a physician, is controversial, he opines that such abortions and miscarriages do not require the supervision of a physician. So essentially, there goes the physician-only law. Both experts say, is it really consequential? Not so much. So we're going to wow. get into this more. <clears throat> wow. This is, let's let's not forget, that is a witness for the state. Correct. Who's mm -hmm. supposed to be, who is appearing on behalf of the Solicitor General to defend this law, mm -hmm. who's essentially saying that this law is, he yeah, doesn't agree with this law. agreement. So, and this is, you know, in abortion jurisprudence and even in abortion research, it's hard to find the truth. It's hard to get studies to validate the mm. truth that we know that science says because it's so skewed in the medical profession. We look at all of the um, medical professionals that support abortion and you know they paint life advocates as really outliers. So it's hard to even get mm. to the information that we know is there. But mm. as, I, as I said, we do have evidence um, that contradicts what this expert is saying. 
Um, moving on, the hospitalization law is also found unconstitutional, which is a law requiring abortions to be performed in a hospital after the first trimester. Oh, this gets me. <clears throat> this gets me. Renee, you know why it gets me? It's so frustrating to me because it... Did you know that Planned Parenthood, I'm sure you know this, Planned Parenthood actively lobbies against legislation that would require them to have hallways that are wide enough for gurneys to go through. And mm -hmm. gurneys are those, like, trolleys that you have to be put on if you have to be rushed into an ambulance. Right. They lobby against things like this, like mm -hmm. tons of other things like this, that would enable abortion facilities to be, quote-unquote, safer, safer for right. the women. But they lobby against these things. Mm -hmm. And now women are going to be having all these abortions in these abortion facilities that are so unsafe mm -hmm. for women. So unsafe. A lot of contradiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, another another one of the laws <clears throat> that was impacted are felony penalties. Um, the law stating that it is a felony to perform an abortion unless the abortion is performed consistent with the rules of the Commissioner of Health. <laughs> so... I know, Grace, you had some thoughts on that. I have thoughts. So I read through, like, the first 40 pages of this, which was mostly all of the witnesses testifying. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really glad you're on here to give the legal perspective. But something, I just, it astounds me, all of these testimonies, again, by the so-called experts. Uh, two experts, two of the two of the um, people that testified, Dr. Doe, Dr. Terrell, decide, they stated that criminal felony penalties for abortion providers exist solely to intimidate qualified providers by exposing them to unique and onerous penalties, decrease access to safe medical care, and reinforce the stigma around abortion. According to these, to these experts, quote-unquote, laws that subject abortion providers to disparate criminal liability discourage qualified clinicians from providing abortion care. This is the claim. This is what these, these people that testified in front of the court claimed. They claimed that these laws, these common sense laws mm -hmm. that are protecting women and children are going to basically make it make doctors and other health professionals feel unsafe to perform abortions. Well, maybe my question is, maybe it discourages illegal behavior. Right. Maybe just maybe that's why we have these these laws in place. Mm -hmm. Like I'm all we need to protect women from them undergoing abortions that are unsafe from them. We just I don't understand how they were taken seriously by the judge. I There's, truly don't. <laughs> the perspective is that abortion abortion is safe. Abortion, they argue, mm -hmm. in fact, abortion is safer than pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's they not have safe that. if Kermit Gosnell is your doctor. <laughs> I you know, it's like it, it, they, the idea that you can't conceive of a, of, a, of a situation in which a doctor would do anything criminal while performing an abortion, mm -hmm. criminal uh, negligence, criminal uh, not being qualified to perform the procedure, being uh, just, just that, that, that there's just no basis for legal, um, at least for criminal liability on mm -hmm. the part of that doctor, I think is just, first of all, disgusting. It also reminds me uh, Renee, I don't know if if it's really that similar, but to what we heard from New York a few years ago, mm -hmm. where basically they, I think I remember them saying that they just decriminalized abortion, period. There's no such thing as mm -hmm. an illegal abortion, however performed. And it's like we're, we're, we're going down that road, it mm -hmm. seems like, which is... It just seems so dark and dystopian to it, me. It's well, it disturbing. Is. It's, it's, a, it's the perspective on how do you view life. I mean, mm -hmm. it really comes down to that. And I've said the ethos of death over and over again. Mm -hmm. But if you just view abortion as any other procedure and you don't understand that it's taking the life of another mm -hmm. human being, then you start, uh, the state will enact laws that reflect that 
that type of perspective. I definitely agree. It's about how you view life, but it's also about how you view human nature with this law specifically, because it's like, okay, if you believe that humans are naturally good, that man is born good and inherently good, and he's always going to choose the right, the right action, then of course there's no need for these felony penalties. Right. But Mm -hmm. if you believe that man is naturally sinful Mm -hmm. and oftentimes is going to choose the worst thing Mm -hmm. is going to be manipulative, Mm -hmm. then of course we need these common sense laws. And I mean, that's why we have a government in the first place, right? It's to protect good and to promote good and to punish the evildoer. And so, yeah. If they are good natured and they are going to follow these laws mm-hmm. and the ethical duties they, they have, have as professionals, they have nothing, nothing to, fear. to fear. They have nothing yep. to fear. And so the fact that this was overturned, this common sense piece of legislation was overturned by this ruling is so disturbing to me because it really shows it really shows their agenda, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, Great, we can do more illegal activities, we can hurt women more, we can we can bypass all of these things because there's no one behind us checking the box making mm-hmm. sure that we're being legal. Yeah. The ne- next one I want to bring up is parental notification, mm-hmm. which you guys know is one of my big ones. Mm-hmm. Anytime mm-hmm. someone wants to violate my parental rights or anyone else's, watch out. Don't mess with Mama Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess. But the parental notification law is a law that requires abortion to providers to notify the parents of a minor before the minor can get an abortion, and they must observe a 48-hour waiting period prior to consent. And again, I think this is just significantly important. And the law was struck down despite the fact that there's a judicial bypass yeah. in the law, meaning that minors can get an abortion without parental notification if a judge determines that it's in the minor's best interest. Um, some of the arguments in the briefing were as follows. The plaintiffs argued that studies have shown that minors can correctly predict parental responses to the <laughs> minor seeking abortion, which may include violence and abandonment, whether financially, emotionally, or removing access to housing. Research has shown that parental notification and consent laws do not promote adolescent health, nor do they improve family communication. Okay, this is troubling. Mm -hmm. In the context outside of abortion jurisprudence, the court has emphasized that parents' relationship with their children is not only constitutionally protected, but entitled to the highest levels of procedural safeguards. So technically, even unfit parents have more protections over the rights of their children than fit parents, but for the context of abortion. Wow. So I would argue that abortion itself is the catalyst to undermining these Mm parent-child relationships. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have to talk to your parents and you can simply get an abortion or be forced to get one while you're in this fragile state of mind, Mm -hmm. especially as a young girl, um, the the state's now facilitating this disconnect between parents and children. And it's helping young girls to choose to disconnect from their parents. Are those the kind of laws that we want? Or do we want to wow. remove laws that create that kind of incentive? Mic drop. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really bothers me about that, Renee, is the fact that this is going to totally enable sex trafficking of Absolutely. underage girls. Because if parents aren't going to be notified that their child's getting an abortion... What, what what host of other things? Like, the abusers can absolutely manipulate girls in this way because they can force their child, they can force this underage child to go get an abortion and the parents don't even know because it's not required by law. Right. I believe um, Moses' favorite line from our brief is a man's answer to a woman's problem. Mm. <laughs> and exactly. that's what, who's left with the problem? The young girl mm-hmm. who was trafficked, who was raped, who is a victim. Mm-hmm. She's, mm-hmm. A, she's, she's a victim many times over Mm -hmm. because of removal of these types of laws. Mm -hmm. And I think it just shows that, you know, the undergirding of abortion and how destructive it is to society, that that abortion touted as this great rescuer perpetuates um, certain type of behaviors and is the catalyst to, again, preying on young girls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the ramifications are sweeping. Um, This isn't just about, you know, these rigid, very narrow rules. The implications are very broad. 
Um, also, we'll look back at the laws that were deemed unconstitutional, the mandatory disclosure law and physician disclosure law, known as informed consent, which requires certain information to be provided to women and young girls before an abortion is performed and provided to her by a physician. <laughs> so the mandatory disclosure law required informed consent, covering medical risks of the procedure, the age of the unborn child, medical assistance benefits, the father's liability for child support, and the right to review health department documents. And then there's a 24-hour period of which the woman would get these and then have to wait before she has the abortion. So, um, and that is the, as actually the mandatory delay law, the 24-hour waiting period. But, you know, knowledge is power, as they say. Yes. If you know what's going on in mm -hmm. your body, if you, you know, hear what age the child is, it's actually a real child, you know that, oh, the father has a liability, mm -hmm. you know that there are certain risks to this procedure, you might think twice. Does the abortion industry want you to think twice? No, no, they don't. That's why I they think are it's, the it's industry. It's not abortion no, care, it is industry. There's right. no place, there's like no age of gestation where abortion ever becomes ethically problematic for this for this under this uh framework mm -hmm. like you don't they don't even believe that a woman has some sort of duty or responsibility right. to know the gestational age of the child mm -hmm. before going in, into mm -hmm. abortion or that physicians don't have a responsibility to establish gestational age and you know that goes flies in the face of uh, well, it, it even flies in the face of the Roe v. Wade framework, which said that abortions mm -hmm. could be regulated past the age of viability, mm -hmm. which you need to establish gestational age to determine that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just an absolute barbaric push in the next direction. And I, I just want to mm -hmm. say a, a, just a quick side note. We knew this was coming. We knew that in some way, um, after Dobbs v. Jackson, that um, people in power in blue states or purple states, whether that's elected leaders or in this case a judge, will essentially take their revenge. And I, I think we can tell that this ruling was in the works long before Dobbs, um, as far as we know. But uh, it, it, the, uh, it, it mentions Dobbs, as we'll, as we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. But if, if, if our state does not protect life in the after Dobbs, if our state, now that our state is responsible for our, our own abortion laws, and if we choose not to protect life, then our, our adversaries will grab the football as they have done here, and they will take it and they will, they will, they will start. Uh, they ha this is this is the beginning of of a complete deregulation of abortion. <clears throat> Not going to happen under my watch, Moses or Renee's. Let absolutely. me tell you. <laughs> Ab absolutely, and I just I, but I just want to say I, that bec the, because the the consequences of the next stage of this fight in Minnesota are going to be greater than anything we've seen before. Mm -hmm. I think for because in terms of what we in this room and you at home. Uh, are going to be able to do to affect this is going to be a massive we, we just have so much more responsibility uh now than i think we than we did before while well, roe v wade uh still stood in our way and i want to take one moment there um uh to move to this next question so we were talking about mandatory mandatory disclosure um grace what are your thoughts on that yeah so like i say i read some of these witness testimonies and everything. And one thing that Dr. Terrell said, um, who obviously is in support of revoking this common sense law, she said that 
Uh, abortion does not increase a woman's risk for breast cancer, a future pregnancy complications, mm-hmm. or of infertility. Blatant lies. Blatant lies. Because there are studies that show that it's absolutely not true. Um, and then she says, this is what really gets me. She contends that providing patients with a litany of state-mandated information. <laughs> oh, really? Sorry, I'm stealing your thunder. So a litany of state, state-mandated information being what what resources does women do women have um pregnancy resource centers like what resources are available to women if they chose life and then all of the other things like the the partner is also required to step in and financially support also this is what an abortion is that's the litany of state mandated information that a woman should be required to review and it says she says that that information is irrelevant or misleading because it undermines the informed consent process and practitioners' ability to engage in shared decision making. How does that undermine she, that process? She says, <laughs> rounded out in conclusion, yeah. physicians would be better served if their healthcare providers were free to exercise their professional professional judgment to provide them with relevant and scientifically accurate information in accordance with the standard of care. And their mm-hmm. view of scientifically accurate information is that. Um, None of those things matter and that the information right. is misleading. Right, because where does the abortion industry make their money? It is 100% with the abortion. So they, are they ever, if, if it's up to them, which it is up to them now, are they ever going to say, oh, look, you have all this funding if you choose life. You have all these pregnancy resource centers that will stand behind you. Your husband, your boyfriend, the person that got you pregnant is required to pay. If, if the woman doesn't know that, do you think that she's really going to choose life? If, he sh- if she feels so alone, because the, let me tell you, the abortion industry will not tell her about all these other resources if, if they're given the choice. If she feels so alone, will she ever choose life? Of course not. And they know that. And, and that's why Dr. Terrell rounds out the statement and she says that if providers are required to tell their patients about these risks and about these, these um, resources – damage significant she says significant damage is done well let me ask you that like what damage is done to the woman nothing a woman is only benefited by that but you know where the real damage happens it happens with the abortion providers because they potentially might not get the money that they really want and mm-hmm. need to stay open that's what bugs me is this piece of legislation that is being revoked the way in which this is being revoked is absolutely antithetical to the success of women it's promoting lies and fear-mongering and manipulation of women and that's why this is this is disgusting honestly disgusting to there's me. a there's a subpart to the mandatory disclosure law <laughs> that i think is relevant to and moses brought up gestation um, it was stated in this law that for abortions after 20 weeks, you must disclose whether or not an, anesthe- an anesthetic or analgesic would eliminate or alleviate organic pain to the unborn child caused by the particular method of abortion to be employed and the particular medical benefits and risks associated with, per- with the particular anesthetic or analgesic. Wouldn't you want to know that information, especially if your child, your preborn child, is 20 weeks or older? Right. Absolutely. You'd at least want to know that. I mean, think of mm-hmm. my recollections of being pregnant, feeling my children. I felt them very early, um, 14, 15 weeks, um, and something changes. There is a biological, uh, bi- ah, excuse me, biological connection mm-hmm. yeah. that is undeniable. And again, it goes to that simple statement, knowledge is power. If you know there are risks, if you know there is help available to you, you might just change your mind. Yeah. So that's a really good summary, Renee, of all of the laws that are immediately affected by this egregious ruling, I think. Um, yes, there were there were some questions about um, the reporting laws, and those mostly remain intact. The lawsuit has been going on for about three years. So in the course of the lawsuit, um, the plaintiffs previously dismissed some claims relating to the fetal disposition law, which required fetal tissue resulting from abortion or miscarriage to be disposed of by cremation or um 
other means that they they didn't like because basically a burial is acknowledging that this is an unborn child. Right. So I think they said that it was archaic and inconsistent with science. Hmm. Um, and it's also, according to them, inconsistent with other medical disposal practices. However, um, you know, that wasn't an issue here. And then also reporting on sexually transmitted infections um, with respect to advertising, which bans advertising for the treatment of sexually transmitted infections is also not an issue anymore in this case. So quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite a, a comprehensive bit. ruling. Quite a bit that we're upset about and that we will be fighting against, of course. Um, can you uh, give us a high-level overview of the reasoning that the judge used in deciding this? Because you've given us a great high-level overview of all these rules, or mm-hmm. all these laws, I should say, that will be affected. But what was the reasoning of the judge? Because to me, most of these witnesses, their testimonies are absolutely either blatantly false or just manipulative. So... What was his reasoning? Right. Well, the judge really relied on Doe v. Gomez, the mm-hmm. 1995 decision of the Minnesota Supreme Court that held that a woman's right to abortion is protected by the Minnesota Constitution and provides a fundamental right to abortion. And then the opinion goes on um, with various constitutional analysis, including the right to privacy, some equal protection arguments, some free speech arguments, so specifically for the informed consent and some other things. But, I mean, really it's that whole right to privacy notion out of thin air very similar to Roe, mm. um, and, you know, I think is an erroneous ruling, but mm-hmm. the court views that as their basis to spring them forward into this ruling. It's really ridiculous to me because my question is how is not, like just taking one example of these laws that will be shot down, how is not providing women with the information they need and deserve about undergoing an abortion or not, how is that protecting her right to privacy, <laughs> you know? It just, it's not. It's actually withholding information from her. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, obviously we all agree that it's deeply flawed. Doe v. Gomez is deeply flawed. Thus, mm-hmm. this ruling is deeply yeah. flawed because mm-hmm. it's based on Doe v. Gomez. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Renee has given us um, a, a sense of what's next for this case um, in terms of whether or not the Attorney General may appeal it. Grace, I have a question for you mm-hmm. um, because our, our work here is to help um, or everyday Minnesotans who aren't attorneys, who aren't involved in this in this case, uh, to get involved in the fight for life. And this ruling could be, uh, it could be kind of demoralizing. So mm-hmm. how can how can people get involved and how can we um, how can we absolutely do things that will work to help lower the number of abortions, mm-hmm. protect life in the state? And, you know, I think it's a really good question, and I think it is easy to feel helpless when something so draconian and egregious like this is, is has just happened. But the bottom line is you and I, average Minnesotans like you and me, Moses, I'm not going to include Renee in that because she's more than an average Minnesotan, right? <laughs> but if average Minnesotans like you and I have a lot more power than we think we have. I mean, just if we think about great leaders in the past, if we think about, like, Wilberforce, mm-hmm. who ended slavery, right, uh, in England, what did he do? I mean, he did a lot of things, but he started out by getting loud about the issue, right? Right. And so that's what every Minnesotan can do. There's a lot of Minnesotans that I know out there. Maybe you're watching this podcast, listening to this podcast, or maybe people that you could send this podcast to that would agree with you that they agree that abortion is morally wrong in every situation. Or maybe they agree that abortion is wrong in almost every situation. Or maybe they are personally pro-life. Now, if you agree most, like, if you agree that abortion is wrong, and if you are pro-life, Sometimes you don't know where to start. You don't know how to get involved, even though you believe that, right? And that's where I think the average Minnesotan comes in, because if you believe that, if you believe that abortion's wrong, you can do a lot 
just get educated. I mean, we have a lot of resources for you guys. The truth is so powerful. When people hear the truth, hearts and minds change. We've yeah. seen it happen before in history. We are seeing it happen across our country. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing it happen in our state. So what I'd recommend for you is if you haven't listened to our podcast episodes already that are pro-life apologetic episodes, we will have them linked in the description. There's two episodes where we de- debunk every common pro-abortion talking point, And we tell you guys how you guys can respond with truth and grace. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know that if we speak the truth compassionately and winsomely, we will change hearts and minds. Of course, there will be some people that will never change because they're on the side of darkness. But most people, when they understand what abortion is, Uh, the development of a baby, and they understand what options women have, they're absolutely going to be pro-life. And you know the people that are really winnable in this issue, as you and I know, are the people that are personally pro-life. So I bet you have friends in your life that are personally pro-life, meaning they personally believe that it's right to save children and never have an abortion, but they think that that option should be available for other women because there are circumstances. Now, I'll also link a video in the description that responds directly to that argument that you guys can watch that I did, I think, like two years ago now. I'm old. Um, But it's a good video, and you need to explain to those people why it's essential for them to be pro-life and why you need to be pro-life without exception or else it's contradictory. Absolutely. And so really just educate yourself on the facts. If you have any questions, um, any arguments you've heard that you don't know how to respond to, or if you have questions about resources, like what pregnancy resources are available, what funding is available, please feel free to shoot us an email. You can do that at moses at mfc.org. We are happy to respond to those questions or even do a podcast episode episode devoted to one of the arguments that you may be hearing, but really education is crucial. There's a lot of other things you guys could do. Um, I talked about those things in the last episode a bit, so go listen to our latest episode um, right before this one um, and hear more because I don't want to take up too much time, but the key thing I want you guys to take away is you have the power to change the world. You're not going to change the world if you stay silent, but you are going to change the world if you start by speaking up in your workplaces, in your schools, and in your churches. I think that when people feel confident about this topic, they're more likely to engage. And I've mm-hmm. noticed that a lot Absolutely. in my engagement with churches um, and otherwise. You know, I think this really starts on the sidewalk. And the other team has done a great job of that, whether it's the abortion issue or anything else. They know how to have these conversations. They know how to just bring up the points casually. And suddenly they've persuaded somebody to their side. So don't be afraid to have these conversations. Um, even in your grocery store, I know that sounds really strange, but I have had some amazing conversations while looking at strawberries. Wow. So, you know, I think that we just need to be bold. And as mm-hmm. believers, you know, when the Holy Spirit, you know, asks you to act and do something and be bold, I mean, you are equipped to do it. So listen to the videos that Grace has out there. Um, and if you do have any questions, again, I'm glad that you, you're you willing to field those, Moses. You can also send those um, legal questions to Moses as well, and he'll get those to me. And if you are um, any sort of organization, parachurch, or ministry, and you'd like to have some education on the issue, um, feel free to contact us. True North Legal is fielding a lot of those requests right now and excited to go out and speak with other churches and people that are passionate on the issue. But Can thankful. I say that there's a contact form on truenorthlegal.org, and so you can get in touch directly and confidentially uh, for, for speaker requests or anything mm-hmm. else, as Renee mentioned. Great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're coming in for a landing here. Uh, Renee, do you have closing thoughts for us and for our audience on this ruling? 
Well, as we've stated, this lawsuit really is one of the most aggressive abortion lawsuits in the country, mm-hmm. wiping out all the protective laws on the books, or nearly all of them. Um, and, you know, abortion advocates are now not only violating the rights of the preborn, but they're preying on vulnerable women and our young daughters. And we need to care about women and children that are impacted by abortion. I think the other side has, you know, argued and in some ways successfully that we, especially Christians, only care about the preborn, which, which in fact is not true at all. Right. I mean, the amount of pregnancy resource centers that we have mm-hmm. alone proves that point. What is it, Grace, 2,700, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. around that amount? Mm-hmm. I mean, so who is caring for these women? Who is caring for both the preborn mm-hmm. and, and the Senator child? Elizabeth Warren said this week that she thinks every pregnancy resource center mm. should be shut down. So that's an oh interesting boy, contrast. Oh boy, oh boy. That uh, is for, very Forgive me disturbing. for interrupting, but the contrast is just so clear. Well, and it, my next point was be alert and pay attention. Mm-hmm. When you hear something like that, that should bother you. That should resonate with your conscience, and that should motivate you to action. Get loud and about it. And if you don't feel equipped learn about it and don't be afraid because anything that you say is going to be a positive contribution to the narrative that we need to put out there because we have the truth and I think the truth always wins. Absolutely, Renee. And the fact is, yeah, the truth always wins. Not only that, but like we're on God's side. That's why That's why we're winning, that's right? That's what the capital Absolutely. T truth is. <laughs> yep. We are on God's side, so we're winning this battle. Maybe it'll take us a few years. Maybe it'll take us a few months. Maybe it'll take us decades, but we're going to win in the end, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I love that, and what a great note uh, to end on. Um, I'm so glad to be joined this week on the Family Beacon by special guest Renee Carlson. Uh, remember that... Um, Am I chopped liver? I'm oh, think- no. <laughs> Grace is amazing. I just amazing. wanted to lighten the mood a little Grace bit. Grace is amazing, but she's here every week. And he has and to put up with gets, me every week. If you get sick of Grace and I, it's, no, nice, to, it's nice to have uh, I, someone like Renee. Yes, who thank is, you, Renee. Uh, so you want me to host the podcast? Oh, oh, yes, yay. Renee and Grace. See you guys next week. <laughs> that that would be fun if I ever wanted to take a week off, which, um, which I may. Um, so uh, you guys would do an amazing job, way better than me. So, But, but on that note, I, I just want to say thank you guys so much for watching and listening listening make sure to share this episode Mm -hmm. especially this episode because we're talking about something that is not at the top of the news pages it's not being talked about a lot and so we really need to get the word out about this lawsuit people need to as grace said people need to get loud about this so that Mm -hmm. we can make positive change for life in this state so now you have the facts so that you can stand for truth thank you so much for watching or listening to the family beacon from minnesota family council have a great day Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you're up to date on life, family, and religious freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at MN Family Council and subscribe to us on YouTube to watch our content. Get the facts, stand for truth. Mm